The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning, Springs Church. Welcome, everybody here. Welcome in the name of Jesus. And we always try to give a shout out to those who are tuning in online. And thank you for joining us there as well. We also always, it's a huge priority, hospitality, to make sure that our visitors know that you're very welcome and that we're just really grateful to have you here, that we want to connect with you and get to know you. And so if you can fill out a visitor card, that would help us, but especially just stick around, talk with us after service. We're so, so glad that you've chosen to worship with us here this morning at the Springs, where we are a church being transformed into the image of Christ so everyone can find the way to God. I hope we can all say that together. We should all be able to say that statement because that's what's going on here at the Springs. And that happens primarily through gathering in the name of the Father, through growing into the image of the Son, and going by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this year, of course, we're focused on go, on mission. And so I want to continue that focus by jumping into week four of our series, Good News, Sharing the Gospel of Christ. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 this morning, if you want to turn over, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Let's pray, church. Jesus, we give thanks for you, for the power of your Holy Spirit, for the power of your gospel, which is our salvation. Lord, help us to let that gospel seep into our bones. Let it seep into our lives, not just into our words, but into our actions on behalf of your kingdom. We ask for your Holy Spirit to illuminate this text, and God, I ask for the gift of preaching, and it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. One of the most famous soccer players in the world is David Beckham. Now, Beckham is something of a celebrity, partly for his athletic talents and successes, also because he's a businessman and a philanthropist and the husband of a Spice Girl, and something of a fashion icon as well. And in fact, in 1997, David Beckham signed the equivalent of a U.S. $6 million contract with a British company, a hairstyling product brand called Brill Cream. Brill Cream had been around for a long time. Uh, They'd been successful, but sadly for decades, they'd been kind of diminishing their sales. And so they were trying to capture the youth crowd again. They were trying to get in with young men, and so they signed David Beckham to this years-long deal to be their kind of brand ambassador for their hairstyling products. 
Unfortunately for them, a couple years after this contract was signed, David Beckham went ahead and shaved his head, which makes it kind of difficult to be the representative for a hairstyling product when you have no hair to style. And sadly, I'm sure it was a tough day in the office for the Brill Cream execs, and apparently its sales did diminish because of this haircut that David Beckham got. It's tough when our message and our life doesn't align. It causes problems when our words and the ideas and ideals that we espouse don't line up with the way that we live. Don't line up with our actions. Now, it's kind of comical, this story about a celebrity shaving their head when they're representing hairstyling product, because of course, what do we expect from celebrity brand ambassadors? For the most part, you know, this is probably a marriage of convenience. This is about the money that they can make one another. So we're not all that surprised if the relationship breaks down. But things get less comic and more tragic when it comes to followers of Jesus Christ. Our relationship to Jesus, our relationship to the Christian faith is not a marriage of convenience. It's not about money. If it is for you, you're in the wrong place. It's about a call that's been placed upon us by Jesus. It's about a decision that is supposed to define our entire existence so you can imagine the kind of problems that we as Christians run into when our message and our life fail to align. We become, in that moment, like the unsalty salt that Jesus talks about. In Matthew chapter 5, remember Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. Right, the purpose of salt is to be salty, right? It is to enliven the taste of food. And of course, in the first century, especially its job was to be a preservative, to preserve food. So Jesus is saying, if you're no longer helping out the flavor, if you're no longer preserving the food, if salt is no longer salty, what's the point? It's no longer aligning what it's supposed to be about and what it's supposed to be doing. And we have a word for what salt has lost or what we've lost or what David Beckham loses when he shaves his head. What we've lost in that moment is integrity. No longer is there integrity between our words and our deeds, between our message and our life. Integrity Right? It has roots in the Latin, which, which mean intact, right? wholeness. That's what integrity is about. You might remember from middle school math, learning about whole numbers. What are they called? They're called integers, integrity. And when our message and our actions, our words and our deeds don't align, we fail to walk with integrity. As I said, this is week four of this sermon series. 
And I think on some level, each successive sermon has upped the ante of challenge, right? Ben started it off beautifully with this sermon on hospitality, evangelism through welcoming the stranger, right? Being kind to people we don't know. Okay, I can do that. And then we moved on to, to friendship, right? Extending the friendship of God, investing deeply in relationships. Okay, all right, I, I can do that. Last week, Ben called us to account and said, look, we actually have to talk about the gospel. We actually have to proclaim Jesus. If, if people don't hear, how will they believe? And how will they hear if we don't tell? And now this morning... We're focusing on living with integrity. Not just speaking the words of Jesus, but actually living lives that align with his message. Actually living lives that abide by his teachings, that abide by the New Testament, all of Scripture, the Sermon on the Mount. And if you've read the Sermon on the Mount recently, you might think, could I just go back to the talking part? Could I just tell people about Jesus? But our gospel words and our gospel deeds go hand in hand. There's a quote that's sometimes attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, though most people think he didn't actually say it. But the quote, you may have heard it. It says, preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. It's an interesting thought. I think ultimately it gets the balance a little off with the words because the words are necessary, right? As Ben pointed out last week, we have to speak the gospel. We have to tell people about Jesus. But I think where the quote is helpful is where it helps to combat empty words, right? The quote is trying to say, you can preach the gospel with more than just talk, which is cheap. Right? You can preach the gospel with your actions. Jesus, when he announces the gospel in Luke chapter 4, he says, I'm bringing good news to the poor. I'm setting the captives free. Recovery of sight to the blind. Right? You can preach the gospel with more than just words. You can do it with the actions that Jesus did. It takes words and deeds. Right? Because the words amplify the deeds, and the deeds authenticate the words. Priscilla Pope Levison says this. She says, you know, think of a parent hugging their child and saying, I love you. You could do one of those, just saying I love you, or just hugging the child, but both of those actions together bring a powerful combination that says something more than either the words or the deeds can say on their own. And so Jesus calls us to live actually as the salt of the earth. He calls us in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. For some reason, I think our neighborhood where we live is pretty 
power outage prone. We seem to be a little more afflicted with that than we were in our last neighborhood, but all of you probably have a plan in place when the power goes out. You've got your flashlights on your phones. You've probably got flashlights in a drawer, but we also have some candles stored away up in the closets as well that will bust out when we're really desperate. And of course, those candles would be worthless if they were off in a corner of the house that no one could see. No, of course, we're, we're putting them up on the mantle. We put them next to the mirror. We put them in places where it gives the most light to the most people in the house. Jesus says our gospel living is like that. That without our gospel living, we're hiding the candle under a bushel basket. We're hiding the candle in a place where it can't be seen, where it doesn't illuminate God and his glory. And so Jesus calls us to shine that light of the gospel with our deeds. Because here's the bottom line, church. Here's the bottom line. The gospel is always true, but its truth can be more or less apparent. The gospel's always true. We believe Jesus is Lord, Jesus is risen, amen, it's true. But the ability of our neighbors to see that truth can change. It can change based on our context. It can change based on the Christians that they run into, right? Now, I'm not making God dependent upon us, right? There's a sense in which God doesn't need us. God can speak his word. He can speak his message. The Holy Spirit speaks. We can't stop it. If God can speak through a donkey, he can use my stumbling, fumbling attempts, right? He can use us even in our failures. But it's still incumbent upon us to do the best that we can to make the gospel more apparent to those around us. Right? God has still chosen, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, to make his appeal through us. Right? God has still chosen to use us, to use the church, to get the message out, to get the word and the deed out. And so it can be more or less apparent, this truth of the gospel that is constant. Right? To use a very extreme example from a theologian named George Lindbeck, he says, think about the, the crusader and his battle cry of Christ is Lord. Now that phrase, Christ is Lord, it's true. It remains true. But the way in which the crusader uses that battle cry in order to justify killing the infidel, the statement is true, but the way in which he's saying it is false. Right? It, it may be true that Christ is Lord, but the way in which he's using that statement is false. It's antichrist, right? It's underwriting, underwriting behavior that is against Jesus. So the gospel is always true, but that truth can be more or less apparent. The infidel, the enemy of that crusader, is going to have a tough time seeing the truth of Christ is Lord, at least in the way that Jesus wants to be Lord in dying for his enemies. So there's another truth that follows from this, church. Because the gospel is always true, but its truth can be more or less apparent, our lives can either clarify or obscure gospel truth. 
we can either make it easier for our neighbors to see that Jesus is Lord, or we can make it harder. We can either clarify the truth of the gospel, or we can obscure it with our words, with our actions, right? We can either act in ways that are harmful and hateful that make it hard, really opaque to see the truth that Jesus is Lord, or we can give our lives to the service of the kingdom. We can walk in humility. We can do justly. We can love mercy, and we can make it clear, as clear as possible this side of eternity, that Jesus is Lord and the gospel is true. I think about math, actually, high school math, because I, algebra didn't quite make sense to me right away, but geometry I got. I, I've heard this from other people as well. Maybe you're similar, maybe you're opposite. But geometry was kind of intuitive in my head. It just kind of clicked. It seemed learnable. It seemed true. But algebra was a little more complicated, right? What was this, eighth grade, freshman year? Algebra was harder. But the wrinkle is, I had a great algebra teacher and a not-so-great geometry teacher. So this wonderful algebra teacher, she made this learnable. She made this doable. She made it evident and apparent and clear to me. But my geometry teacher took something that could have been true, that was true, could have been apparent and learnable for me, and made it somewhat obscure, made it challenging. Church, that's what we can do for the gospel, right? We, we can either live lives of integrity, lives that at least seek by the power of the Holy Spirit to conform, to be transformed into the image of Christ, or we can live lives that makes something true very difficult to see. Jesus says at the end of our passage in verse 16, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, the danger of this focus on living with integrity, sharing the gospel through our works, our integrity, is this emphasis on our, right? This emphasis on our works, on what we do, right? This is, this is a grace congregation right here. We're saved by grace, church. So there's a difficulty here. And Jesus acknowledges as much in the Sermon on the Mount because he says let your light shine before others so they can see you and your works and give glory to God. But then later on, he's going to say something that feels intention, right? That he's kind of combating this other emphasis. He says in the next chapter, he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And then he goes on to say, hey, don't do your praying in a showy way in public. Don't do your giving in a showy way in public. Don't do your fasting. Don't make it evident that you've been fasting. Do these things in secret. So it seems intention, but I think the difference is clear. I think the difference is obvious, is that Jesus is telling us in chapter 5, live for the kingdom, 
Be salt, be light, so that they see your works and glorify God. But in chapter 6, he says, don't do the works for you to be seen. The difference that Jesus is outlining is are we living with integrity? Are we living for the kingdom? Are we sacrificing? Are we loving our neighbor for us to be seen or for them to see God through us? So I think what we have to do, church, is we have to live quietly. We have to live humbly. We have to live faithfully, but with a kind of self-forgetfulness. We have to live in ways that we just work for the kingdom. That's just what we do. We're not trying to broadcast it. We're not trying to put it on a Super Bowl ad, but that's just what we do. And because it's living for the kingdom, because it's so counterintuitive, because the Sermon Sermon on the Mount goes against so much of what is just regular for human nature, people won't be able to help but notice. They will see. They will see, and hopefully they will not see us, but they will see God in us and give glory to him. They will see God in us, and they will see that the gospel is true. I'll take a second to make Kelly uncomfortable by bragging on her. But our executive minister, Kelly Osborne, who was in the video before the sermon, she just is a servant. She just is a servant. Amen? Amen. And you just can't be around Kelly for that long without noticing Right? And I could say this about many, many people in this room, but I work with Kelly, and so I just see that she shows up, that she stays late, that she does the menial task that no one else wants to do, that she loves her neighbor, she welcomes the stranger. And she doesn't broadcast it. Here I am broadcasting it. But we just serve. She just serves And people will start to notice. You all notice. I notice. And so when we live in these ways, we don't have to do it to be seen. We just have to do it faithfully and humbly. And God's going to take care of the rest. Right? The Holy Spirit is going to speak through our actions, even when our actions include failure. But Jesus is calling us to the same thing that Peter calls us to in 1 Peter 2. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Joseph Aldrich said this. He said, Christians are to be good news before they share the good news. The words of the gospel are to be incarnated before they are verbalized. I think he's saying if you don't actually use a hairstyling product, you may not have that much business telling other people which one to use. People need to see what we are doing about the gospel 
in order for them to hear what we are saying about the gospel. People need to see that we're actually living in the light of Jesus Christ, that we're actually being transformed into his image. But here's the bad news. We're going to fail. We're going to fall short. Even the saintly Hall of Famer Christians, we fall short. We wrestle. We struggle. All of us, we fall short of the glory of God sin and brokenness and death-dealing forces. But the truth of the gospel is that even though we constantly obscure its truth, Jesus has saved us from that. Even though we constantly make it hard for other people to see the truth of the good news, Jesus has redeemed us, and that precisely is the good news. Jesus has saved us from that. He is redeeming us from our failures. He is setting the captives free. He is bringing recovery of sight to the blind, and he's making his appeal through us even when we fall short. But he's calling us to the wholeness of integrity that only the Spirit can bring about. We don't have to be the city on the hill alone because Jesus Christ was already crucified on a hilltop. He's already been the light of the world. We can't incarnate the good news perfectly because Jesus already did it. But that's not a reason to stop That's a reason to keep striving after his image, to keep striving by the power of the Holy Spirit to actually live in ways that align with the words and deeds of our crucified and risen Messiah. Church, let us live in ways that make the gospel clear to our neighbors, in ways that exalt the Jesus who perfectly incarnated God's salvation. Let's stand and praise the God of wholeness.